Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I am Vivian McPeak, and this is Hemp Present. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hemp Present, email me at hemppresent at gmail.com. I really enjoy hearing from you, the listener. Today's guest on Hemp Present is Alyssa Lee. Cannabis for Children International was established as a 501c3 nonprofit organization in Ohio in July of 2019. Alyssa Lee founded the organization and has personal and professional experience with severely ill and disabled individuals. Her own mother, born in 1924, contracted polio as a child, and Alyssa grew up as a care provider. In 1996, she she achieved her AAS in business management at Clark State. She has 20-plus years of marketing experience with her consulting firm, Professional Management Services, and is a former publisher of the e-newspaper, Cannabis News U.S. With a 40-plus year history in the cannabis community, Alyssa uses her knowledge to spread awareness and advocacy and education, which is precisely why I invited you here to tell us more Welcome, Alyssa, to Cannabis Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Vivian. It's my pleasure. Absolutely. Um, To start off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your organization and its mission? Um, Our mission is to improve safety awareness, to expand the education about cannabis use, and that's both on the medicinal and the industrial sides, and then also to expand that open communication Uh, which has been bound for so long. So we're finding uh, that we have networked um, all parts of the globe at this point, uh, trying to make an impact of those factors and expand uh, the ability for us to grow this as an industry. 
you yourself uh, are a seizure patient and the parent of an adult son with mild cerebral palsy and autism. Uh, before we dive deeper into the work of your organization, what role did your own family health experiences play in your motivation to start Cannabis for Children? Um, definitely the caretaking uh, provisions that are available through cannabis care. Um, having a mother that was crippled with the polio and, and lived till she was 84. So both my parents lived till they were 84. Uh, being able to apply that into elder care, uh, being able to, to apply that to pediatric care and everything in between. Uh, what an opportunity to step in and be involved in that networking. So definitely my own experience as a caretaker is what inspired me to move forward with Cannabis for Children International. Yeah, I mean, I've heard people say that uh, there's a role for cannabis to play uh, in people's lives from cradle to grave, uh, potentially. Do you agree with that? Um, I agree there's a potential there, definitely. And I'll tell you what I've found is that each one is individual. So yeah. there's, there's things that we can apply this to and really make a benefit in healthcare. And then there's other situations that we definitely need you know, surgeries, we need uh, pharmaceutical cares, we need other applications. So it's not the cure-all, but definitely can be applied through nutrition and medicinal purposes and definitely industrial. So what kind of successes has your organization experienced so far? I'm very pleased to have a wonderful board of scientific board that helps us when we have questions or want to expand our, our learning further. Uh, we have 15 members right now on our scientific board from all parts of the globe. Uh, we also have just formed an education group, uh, again, international education group, to look at some of these barriers in communication and how to establish a learning system uh, for families that we can improve that and uh, really looking forward to that. So, so those are two of the accomplishments that I really feel good about, along with our state representatives here in the United States that volunteer their time to help families network as well. You know, the name and even the concept of Cannabis for Children are, for many Americans, I imagine, fairly controversial. And I assume, I assume can evoke great consternation and the gnashing of teeth uh, <laughs> at face value. But I imagine, it's, I imagine it's also a great conversation starter. One of the mantras of prohibitionists have been for decades, uh, what about the children? Um, and what do you say to people when you encounter that attitude? It seems like a great opening to me. Um, I'll tell you, that's the reason it's called Cannabis for Children, um, just because that starts a communication immediately, whether it's accepted or denied, it's out there openly once you say our organization's name. So uh, it was purposely put there. And again, when we look at some of these children uh, that have severe illnesses, and I'm going to use just Dravet's again as an example, these are multiple seizures. 10, uh, 20 a day, hospitalizations, rescue medications. And we know now scientifically that cannabis care does uh, reduce those seizures in Dravet patients. We need to move forward with this. Uh, so let's not fear it anymore. Let's, let's learn and uh, find out how it can be applied to our children. Um, speaking of Dravet syndrome, I've had a parent of a child suffering from Dervais syndrome or other some other uh, some other form of epilepsy on this show, uh, requiring medical cannabis to stop or reduce seizures from the United States. 
Great Britain, New Zealand, Australia, Ireland, South Africa. Um, the only thing different about their stories has been their accents. The name of your organization, the formal name is Cannabis for Children International. Um, I imagine this is an international movement. And wh where does America stand in uh, comparison to other countries as far as the concept of cannabis for children? Um, I'll tell you, uh, it's wonderful to see the movement that's being made in Canada. And I sat into a discussion of looking at cannabis care being covered somehow by health insurance. And just the thought that that would come true would be so beneficial uh, to families. So we're in the United States quite far behind that. Um, we don't even have all our states legalized for medicinal care at this point. Um, <clears throat> we look at the UK, which is suffering greatly with a lot of political situations there in regards to cannabis care. However, there are some small research studies going on there, Germany, um, I've been reached out from Ireland, uh, Scotland. Uh, there's just so many opportunities worldwide to bring the information forward collectively so that the physicians and our hospitals can apply it. Uh, it's just finding that common ground and, and moving forward. It is, is kind of what the United States needs to do now. Um, earlier in, in our conversation, you mentioned industrial use. Um, how does industrial use come into the picture uh, for your for, for, can, for the cannabis for, for ch children concept? Well, I'll tell you, as soon as I hear uh, industrial cannabis, I think jobs, I think learning opportunities, I think income for families. Uh, this is truly an uh, opportunity for industries to grow, to build eco-friendly systems uh, and products that we can bring forward uh, that will allow future generations to live better. Um, I don't know about you, but here where I'm at in the Ohio area, you can't walk down any creeks or rivers without finding hubcaps and metal and debris all over the place. Our, our environment has definitely been poisoned by lack of care. And when we can apply hemp into the industrial side, uh, it will show a lot of soil remediation, a lot of benefits uh, for development into fuels, into plastics that break down easier, into concretes. Uh, and these are things that our children will value uh, because it's less pollution on the earth that they're going to live in. Yeah, I really identify with, with that uh, statement that you just made. You know, the, the, we're leaving a legacy of, of a trashed uh, biosphere uh, you know, to our, our children's children. Um, I, I, in fact, just this last weekend, I went out with members of my community, with volunteers in my community, and we cleaned about a mile and a half of uh, trash and debris, really focusing on discarded plastics, because we all know that these plastics are going to break down into microplastics. And here in Seattle, in my community, they're going to go down the drain and end up in the Puget Sound, in the biosphere, causing uh, havoc, uh, you know, with sea life and, and what have you. And they're going to be there for like, ever practically um and 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 of course you know this shows hemp present so we've had many shows about uh bio biodegradable hemp plastics and, and all the potentials there so you know you're really really striking a chord with me there mm -hmm. um and, and the other thing is 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 that um you know you're talking about creating jobs uh and you know that's children are directly impacted by the livelihoods of their parents and their 
and their class situation and their living conditions and everything, which is has a huge economic uh, direct effect. So it's really, it's really, you know, people are going to hear cannabis for children and they're going to think medical marijuana, but really this is a holistic kind of pervasive concept, right? That, that in my feeling, cannabis slash hemp uh, really has a kind of a tentacle in almost every aspect of human activity. It does. And, you know, our, our children are going to get educated about this. It's how we go about educating them and, and what the purpose behind it is. And it's certainly not to cause them to be in a state of euphoria that is an excuse for lack of, of growth. We, we don't want to create that. We want to create a reality of what's possible for them. And again, we circle kind of back to the medicinal care. We're, we're looking at studies now that are showing benefits that say that cannabinoid therapies are slowing the growth of cancer. And again, if we can find ways to boost the immune system and slow, slow those growths, perhaps we can find um, something that we can bring forward to help remediate what our poor soils and our poor water and our poor air has done to our health. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's really all connected, right? Um, exactly. Diet, lifestyle, environment, uh, recreation, uh, medicine. Um, it's really all part of one, one giant uh, uh, paradigm that, that impacts our health, our mental health, uh, and, and I arguably our spiritual health. Would you agree? I would agree. And it's interesting that you said that because I'm just sitting here reflecting on the Native American Association that I've been networking with that's trying to bring forward their own identity into the hemp and cannabis industry. And, and I think about how at one point this was a plant that was used very heartily and probably gave nutrition to their people and gave medicine to their people and gave shelter. And uh, to be able to bring that full circle back uh, with that spiritual grace would be wonderful. I am speaking with Alyssa Lee from Cannabis for Children International. We're gonna take a quick break and come right back for our second segment. So don't go anywhere. We got a lot of great conversation to come. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at shoogies.com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. We're back to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. We're back on Hemp Present with Alyssa Lee. Uh, Alyssa, you, you kind of spoke a little bit about uh, doctors and our medical establishment and, and cannabis as a, a potential treatment for a variety of conditions uh, for children and others. In your mind, where's the medical establishment today in terms of cannabis as a safe and effective therapeutic, therapeutic agent for children with certain conditions and as a potential alternative to some dangerous pharmaceutical narcotics in treatment. Um, and I know it's not an either or. Um, and what in your opinion are any primary obstacles that might exist 
that need to be overcome to gain greater acceptance by doctors because it at least in my experience it's still a little bit controversial well and i'm i'm seeing two sides of a coin and that's what a blessing is to be in the position that i'm in but I see doctors who desperately want to apply cannabis care towards patients, but they work in a maybe a medical facility that uh, forbids that type of treatment. So basically, they would lose their job and have to uh, reestablish themselves. So they're kind of have their hands tied. On the other side, um, I see that there's a, a medical industry bringing forward interest, and this is. Um, coming through universities and courses that are being offered now to learn more. Um, we're all kind of learning and growing together, but to see these university courses being brought forward definitely tells us that uh, there's medicinal interest for further studies there and that these doctors that are pushing so hard to have these studies do have some qualified uh, information to offer and to contribute contribute to the collective understanding. So um, it's, it's a matter of bringing those doctors forward and having them uh, validate the cannabis care. And once we get more doctors validating the cannabis care that they're seeing, instead of having that taboo that it's forbidden, but, but basically saying, we know this patient is coming in with chronic pain, and now they're saying their pain is lessened to a three from a seven and it's cannabis care. We know this. Once we start validating that, then more doctors could understand the patients that come in uh, that are cannabis care patients. Right, right. And I understand that um, the university, well, that the DEA has just kind of changed a longstanding uh, rule that the only cannabis that could be used for scientific studies had to come from the University of Mississippi, I believe, um, and they just open that up because um, I heard from some researchers on this show that they didn't necessarily like the quality of the one source that they were able to get. Um, and now I think maybe uh, commercial use quality and, and you know, market quality cannabis is going to be used for uh, research. And that is probably a big uh, advancement. Uh, do you agree? I do agree. And I, you know, I think about that, then I say, okay, well, I want to know about the region that this, this particular, you know, plants are coming from, because we do have values, uh, you know, a pair located here might have different health values than a pair where you're located at. And we truly need to understand these values of the environment is adding to the cannabis, um, so that we can get the best quality that that treats these conditions. Yeah, I mean, just just on a uh, on a consumer level, we've seen that with wine, right? That wine from different regions has very distinct and different qualities, right? And why shouldn't the same be with cannabis? And be it the the terrain or the uh, uh, the environment, uh, the moisture, you know, they, all of the above. Right, days of rain, the sun, you know, so many factors that are there. Uh, insects that come, right. and you know. And, intermingle with them, you know, we need to learn as much as we can about the values that we get. So uh, again, asking for that cooperativeness amongst the industry to come together and really validate what's happening, uh, I think will be the best for the next generation. Speaking of cooperativeness, you advocate for a quote, cooperative care approach with a pharmaceutical paradigm. Uh, can you explain that a bit? What does that cooperative care approach mean in that context? Um, what it means is basically that if uh, we expect to be 
respected as the cannabis industry, then we have to show the same respect for the pharmaceutical industry. And I will tell you, I've, I've reached out to the leading pharmaceutical industries and they've all decided to connect and network with me because they're seeing that cannabis care is providing benefits. Now, there's funding available to do these research studies through the pharmaceutical industries. If we're cooperative, we can bring this forward for humanity. It's not a preference of either or, it's a cooperative opportunity for our better health care. Yeah, and, and in many instances, I assume that cannabis can be used in conjunction with or as or to complement uh, more tr traditional or conventional treatments, right? Definitely, and, and you know, number one for me to think of, again, we look at the dravets of the seizure syndromes, uh, but also we look at cannabis care or uh, cancer care and we look at you know people who have chosen radiation therapies and chemotherapies and using the cannabis to help mitigate those symptoms of treatment has been a blessing for many families. Some people might say that a child may become dependent upon cannabis. How do you address concerns about abuse potential? Substance abuse and chemical dependency is primarily through uh, behavior disorders. And um, I think that mental health care needs to be brought forward in those cases uh, to look at potential influences that might affect cannabis use. Um, again, I think about alcoholism or use of even tobacco uh, when those, those substances are withdrawn from the body, it's a very harsh uh, withdrawal from the body, usually, uh, if it's overconsumption of any state. And when you're talking about children with alcohol or tobacco, any consumption of a child would be overconsumption. But when we look at that withdrawal from the uh, cannabis care, we're not seeing uh, such harsh withdrawals. So we know, and the risks are not as high as some of the standard treatments that our children have been facing. And of course, it's probably important in that, in that conversation to point out that there's really no overdose risk, uh, no, no, no lethal amount of cannabis. It's, it's not a factor, which is different uh, from a lot of potential medications. Well, I'll jump in there and say the symptoms of uh, cannabis overdose would also cause potential hardships on a child that was severely ill. And what we're looking at then is vomiting and dehydration. And sure. when those conditions start to be applied, we often see high risk situations come from that. So again, there are nobody's died from it that we know of. Nobody say directly that, but the vomiting and the, you know, dehydration without being treated properly does put our children at high risk. Or yeah, I, any individual. I, I certainly don't want to dismiss the concept of cannabis overdose because I have personally <laughs> eaten too many brownies a couple of times at a great big concert. And I, I was, I was, I got really, really sick. I, I took too much and man, it was anything but pleasant. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, I'm so, sorry so, to hear that. I've, I've never had, you know, in my 40 years, I've never had any type of cannabinoid overdosing or any of that type of experience. But, you know, there's a lot of new edibles. And it's interesting that you said brownies, but there's a lot of new edibles that I understand have uh, quite strong doses that, you know, uh, stomachs can't quite take well. And vomiting is, is a common thing now. 
oh yeah, my, my heart was raging and I was cold and, and sweaty and I, I felt like I was going to die, frankly. And I knew I wasn't, but man, it was, it was just terrible. I'm so sorry. people need to be very careful. And when you eat that edible and it's not kicking in, give it some more time before you eat that second <laughs> one, man. Cause you can yeah, make it takes, mistake. it takes a couple hours sometimes <laughs> for those edibles to fully metabolize in the body. So, you know, uh, based on your needs or, you know, when the pain starts to ache, if it's early in the morning, you know, then you take it as soon as you can in the morning, start your day. But if, if not wait it out and see when your body starts to feel the necessity for it and then treat yourself, like you said, half the brownie. Uh, yeah. You want to self titrate because you can always take a little bit more, but you can't take a little bit less than you've already taken. Right. <laughs> that's right. And once you've taken too much, you have to wait that out. You know, you yep. have to go and uh, hydrate as uh, well as you can and flush that out of your body. But again, we're not looking at any lethal impact of that. Just uh, yes. a very uncomfortable. Yep. That is totally true. We have about a minute uh, before the next break. What kind of support or services does your organization Cannabis for Children International provide to families of children seeking cannabis as medicine? Um, one thing I'm really proud of is our friends and family group there on Facebook, where we've been able to network with families uh, of children with all different types of conditions. And again, we're finding that a lot of adults are coming to us as well to find us as that umbrella of support. Uh, so that is an opportunity for us to also share resources for uh, special services such as medical equipment providers that uh, offer nonprofit services for families uh, and, and share other resources. So I'm very happy about our network and it is growing. All right. It's time to roach this segment and go to another break and we're gonna come back with our final questions. See you in a minute. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. We're back to Hemp Present, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. I'm back with Alyssa Lee. Uh, Alyssa, this is just really fascinating. You've done so much in just a couple of short years. I'm so impressed with your organization. Um, I, I wish we had more time. It goes so fast. This is such a huge and deep subject. So I'm just wondering if there's anything that you would like to leave our listeners with, uh, anything that you'd like to add that we haven't covered while we still have a couple of minutes left. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, I had a conversation the other day with someone and they said three words that just stuck out to me so strongly. And it says, truth moves forward. And I thought, yeah, there's really no way to stop what's going on with the cannabis industry. Uh, the truth will start moving forward regardless of the legalities around it. And people will start to understand more and more truth 
the more education they can get. Uh, so I am somewhat concerned though, uh, as I see the industries uh, comparing psychosyllabins with cannabinoids and thinking that we need to be a little more cautious uh, because we're educating people about two different substances. And I understand they impact the endocannabinoid system, but uh, the, their effects uh, on the neurological system need to be studied very closely before we say that they're in the same grouping. Yeah, um, th th there's a kind of a lot of people jumping in on the, the, the kind of psychedelic, well, psychedelics are kind of going through what cannabis has gone through in the last 10 years with acceptance uh, in a large way. But there's also people kind of coming into profit off of it uh, pretty aggressively. And, and I think that there might be a little risk there. People moving too quick, do you think? I think so. And, and I do think there's medicinal applications to those psychosyllabins in small doses and so forth. Uh, but to say that this is actually impactful the same way that cannabis care is, um, I don't think that's correct. Uh, I think there's a lot of difference between the two species of plants. So I, I'd love to see more research be done on that subject before anyone actually claims that it's affecting uh, the system the same way. We still have about a, a minute before I have to wrap up the show. Um, you mentioned uh, how we go about educating our children. Do you do any education directly with children? Um, right now, we do share some educational information, again, in our friends and family group. Uh, when we have research information that comes forward, we share that on specific conditions. Um, and we're always uh, welcome to look up research information that the most we can find. Uh, you can reach out to cannabisforchildren.org. Uh, send us a message to any one of us, and we'll be happy to start looking for more information to help. Alyssa Lee from Cannabis for Children, and once again, CannabisforChildren.org. Thank you so much for your important work. It's just so impressive, and thank you for being on the show. I thank you so much. All right, keep moving that truth forward. <laughs> thank you. All right. That concludes this installment of Hemp Present on Canvas Radio. When it comes to prohibition, you've got the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find your voice and speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. See you next week, folks. Stay strong. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.